Bridge, how we doing guys? Happy Independence Day, so good to see you in the house of the Lord. Anybody proud to be an American? Anybody here proud to be an American? Yeah, man. If I can just get personal for a minute, most of you know that Kim and I have been in missions 40, none of you business years. We probably know and love more people who love Jesus who are not Americans than we do who are Americans. I see no conflict whatsoever in loving Jesus and honoring the nation of your heritage. I see no conflict whatsoever. Anybody with me on that one? So there are probably folks watching right now online from from the Philippines, from Central America, from from Europe, from Africa. I mean, they're with us all the time. So you be proud of your nation. You be a good citizen in your nation. But at the end of the day, let's all be worshipers of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 So so here's here's the question. Why has America prospered? And and for such a prolonged period of time, I mean, 245 years since 1776, why have have we had such stability? Why have we had such prosperity? I looked it up just the other day and realized that France has had five different forms of government during that same period of time. Italy's had 50. The USSR, with all of its vast resources, fell apart within 75 years. What is it about America that makes it so blessed? Is it because we're lucky? Is it because we work harder than other people? I can tell you that's not true. Is it because uh, we're smarter than other people? No, that's not it. I believe with everything in me, it's because we have recognized and honored the rich Christian heritage that formed our nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Can I get an amen in the house? Amen. Now, I don't want to keep you too long, but this is a passion subject for me. I realize that there is a a growing vocal minority, minority, did I say minority? There is a growing vocal minority out there who disagree with everything I just said. They will tell you that our forefathers did not establish a Christian nation, that, that, uh, that they were after a pluralistic society, that they were here for the gold, not for God. Uh, but hear me, the facts simply don't bear that out. It just simply isn't true. And I want to talk a little bit about that in the few minutes I have with you this morning before we go and celebrate because, yes, you can worship our God and celebrate your national heritage at the same time, and we're going to do exactly that today. But before we do, um, there's no guarantee that the blessing will continue. This is not favored status because we'll always have favored status. There are some principles that we have to hold on to in order for this blessing to continue and some commitments we have to make. I could give you a long list, but in the interest of time, and and I think there's a splash house and some hot dogs out there that are calling your name, uh, uh, and a dunking booth. Nobody's going to try to dunk me, I know. You're not going to do that, but I'll get in the booth as long as you don't dunk me. I'm going to mention two principles that are critical for us to hold on to and and then two commitments that we've got to make. And I'm going to ask you to make them with me uh, this morning. So let's get right into it. Two foundational principles that formed our nation's heritage that we've got to always remember and then 
two commitments we've got to make. Principle number one is nations are temporary, but God is eternal. Say it with me. Nations are temporary, but God is eternal. Psalm 33, verse 10 and 11, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. fact is, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to believe in the Bible to understand that one and to see it. Even a superficial trace of history will show you that that verse of Scripture or those verses are absolutely true. Arnold Toynboy, who's a, a historian, studied 21 major aggressor civilizations over the centuries and came to the conclusion that all 21 of them eventually collapsed, only two of them from outside forces. 19 of those aggressor civilizations collapsed from moral decay within. And in each case, it happened so gradually and so quietly that most of its citizens didn't even realize it was happening until it was too late. From Alexander the Great to Adolf Hitler and beyond, plans of every aggressor have failed over the century, but God's plans last forever. I like the way the message puts 3310. God shoots down the world's power schemes, but God's plan for the world stands up. All his designs are made to last. So in balancing this honoring our nation while worshiping our God, please understand that while America is a most prosperous nation, it is not a permanent nation. Lest you think that's un-American of me to say, the reality is that our founding fathers understood that principle, and they built it into our founding documents. So here, here's one that perhaps will be familiar to you. They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. You want to read it with me? I think it's important that you hear yourself read this once in a while. Not scripture, but it's founding in our nation. Here we go. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government. Who gave those rights? God the Creator did. They didn't come from a government. They didn't come from a group of people. God the Creator. And what should happen to a nation who rejects that Creator God? That government should be abolished. That's what it says. All the way back to 1776, our founding fathers understood that there was a higher allegiance than national allegiance. And that allegiance was to God himself. Now, back then, of course, they're talking about England, who was just trying to destroy their rights. But the principle's the same. No matter what century you're in, nations are temporary. God is eternal. So whatever you do, whatever nation you're from, watching online, sitting in this room, don't ever lose sight of this truth. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that mean we shouldn't be patriotic? Of course not. God recognizes and honors nations. He does. It's clear that he does. The Bible even tells us which ones, which is principle number two, and that is God honors the nation that honors him. God honors the nation that honors him. Say it with me. God honors the nation that honors him. Go back to Psalm 33 again, this time verses 12 through 15. 
Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. From heaven the earth looks down and sees all mankind, all of the nations, all of the civilizations. He sees all mankind from his dwelling place. He watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. You see that? God's watching everybody all the time. All the hearts of all the men and all the women. And when he finds a nation that honors him, he blesses that nation. Our founding fathers got that. They understood that. It became the foundation of our nation. You look back and see what they saw, you get it too. Let me give you a couple of history examples. I hate to turn this into a history class, but, but here's the tragedy is that a lot of the things that I'm going to share with you this morning were in the history books when I was a kid and they're not there anymore. So if you don't hear them in church, where are you going to hear them? Boy, a preacher preached a history lesson today. Well, where are you going to get it? Where are you going to hear it? So go back to 1776 with me. On the one hand, Britain was the most powerful nation on the planet at that time. They said the sun never sets on the British Empire, the most powerful military force in the world at that time, but a nation that put its trust in its might. Juxtapositioned against 13 little weak colonies who loved the Lord and are struggling to, to form a nation, they didn't have a chance except they understood the principles that we're talking about this morning. And they knew that God was in the equation. And they saw God show up over and over and over again. Can I give you two examples? Two little history lessons that you may or may not know. Uh, one is from the very beginning of the war for independence. August 27th, 1776. General Howe, the British general, had trapped General Washington and his troops on Long Island. And, and he was about to end this little, in his words, end this little skirmish once and for all. He was going to be done with it quickly, crush this little rebellion, he called it, in a desperate attempt to escape because Washington's back was against the wall. He called for every available boat, anybody who had anything that would float, come help us out. And he began moving his 8,000 troops to the mainland during the night. Morning came, there were still thousands of the colonists on Long Island and vulnerable to General Howe's attack. Major Ben Talmadge, Washington's chief of intelligence, wrote these words. As dawn approached, those of us who remained in the trenches became very anxious for our own safety. At this time, a very dense fog began to rise out of the river. It seemed to settle in a peculiar manner over both encampments. I recollect this peculiar providential occurrence perfectly well. We'll come back to that sentence in a minute because I love it. And so very dense was the atmosphere that I could scarcely discern a man at six paces distance. Everybody track with what I'm saying? So there's, there's thousands of Washington's troops still trapped on Long Island, but a fog begins to rise up, a dense fog. You couldn't even make a man out just a few feet away, this dense fog, but Major Talmadge recollected and he remembered God showed up. So that's 1776 language for God showed up. And this fog came up and obscured the, the view so the British couldn't attack. Washington got all his men across the river to safety and the British lost their only chance to win the war. Quickly, go back to Psalm 33, verse 16 this time. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. Put in, insert in their horse, 
insert tanks, insert uh, drones, insert whatever weaponry you want to come up with. And, uh, this, this weaponry is a vain hope for deliverance despite all of its great strength that cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our hope and shield. Say with me, he is our hope and shield. One more time, he is our hope and shield. And in case you think somehow that fog was a lucky coincidence, of course there was a fog that came up in the morning on the river. That kind of stuff happens all the time. Fast forward to the end of the war, to the time when Cornwallis surrendered at Yorktown. Modern historians will tell you that Cornwallis, Cornwallis uh, surrendered for, for one of three, three, three reasons, perhaps all three. Washington and his genius and the French help that he got, a lot of credit goes there. Division among the British Army, it was going on a lot longer than they thought it would, and, and there's a lot of division among them. That's probably some truth in that. And number three is blind luck. That's what they say. You read history, uh, currently written, that's what they're going to tell you. You can call it luck if you want to, but the real story is that Cornwallis was camped at Yorktown because that location provided some three very, three very strategic things. It was a very good harbor so he could bring in reinforcements. It was high ground to fight from, and it was the only place where the James River was narrow enough that should Cornwallis need to retreat, he could get all of his men across quickly because it was narrower there. The James, if you know it, can be as much as five or six miles wide at many places. At Yorktown, it's a little bit narrower. There's a bridge there today. Cornwallis decided after reinforcements not coming and Washington troops wearing him down so much, Washington still winning the battle, he decides to retreat across the James. So here he is. He, he, he starts coming across the James. He, during the night, he begins to evacuate his troops across the river. But the exact opposite scenario came up uh, than Long Island had a few years ago. No sooner than the first leg of Cornwallis' troops got across the river, a fierce wind came up and blew so hard that Cornwallis', Cornwallis men the rest of them couldn't get across, which divided his troops on either side of the river, which watered down their strength so that Washington was able to win the battle, and Cornwallis ultimately surrendered that day. Now, you again may say that's a natural coincidence. Of course, that happens, but George Washington didn't think it was. November 15, 1781. George Washington wrote to the president of the Continental Congress, and here's what he said, I take particular pleasure in acknowledging that the interposing hand of heaven, I love that phrase, that's 1776, for God showed up again. <laughs> in the various instances of our preparation for this operation has been most conspicuous and remarkable. I don't see any doubt in Washington's mind why they won that battle or why they won that war. Because he knew God honors the nation that honors him. And I suppose, though I don't live in fear, it's what concerns me the most is that modern historians seem bent on erasing these stories from the history books. And a nation that forgets its history is doomed to repeat its mistakes. And to let go of those things that are so vitally important.
may not seem like a big deal, but blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And if we forget that God blessed our founding because our founding blessed him, it's inevitable that people will forget who we are. So I got to shift gears. We, we could spend some time. Maybe we'll do a series someday on this. But, um, but what are the commitments we have to make? in order for this to stay reality. I mean, we can whine and complain about some of the things that are going on in our nation that we're not happy about. We can do all that stuff, but what can we actually do that has meaning and purpose behind it? I think there's two commitments that each one of us has to make as citizens of these United States. And again, if you're from another nation, make these commitments in your nation as well. For us as citizens of these United States, commitment number one, I will educate myself on the issues. Say it with me. I will educate myself on the issues. One more time, I want you to hear yourself saying it. I will educate myself on the issues. If I asked you right now to write down three issues that are before Congress, could you? The state legislature? The local school board? City council? Can you? Keith Green, the great Christian writer of my generation that that perished in a plane crash many years ago, said it this way in song, the world is asleep in the dark, but the church can't fight because it's asleep in the light. We don't have to guess what happens if we forget. Deuteronomy 5 tells us very clearly what happens. Verses 9 and 10, I, the Lord your God, lay the sins of the parents upon their children, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. So I'll ask you again, do you have any idea what's going on? Do you, are you keeping abreast of what's going on? Are you paying attention to what's going on? Any idea of what current local, state, national issues are? Maybe it's time you educate yourself on those issues. The second commitment is I will honor my leaders, but I will worship God. Say it with me. I will honor my leaders, but I will worship God. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17 lays it out very clearly for us. Come on, let's read it together. One, two, three, go. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Do you see four relationships, four groups of people? Do you see how you treat all four of those people? Do you see it there? Is it clear to you? So how about everyone? How do we relate to everyone? You want to say it or you want me to? With respect. We relate to everyone with respect. Does that include people who hold different views than you? I, I thought so. I just wanted to make sure that you knew. Respect everyone. How do we relate to fellow Christians? You love them. And what is love? Love is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. Right? We want other people to, to have justice. We want mercy for ourselves. Well, love is sometimes giving mercy when it's undeserved because that's what we need. Love is spelled out in Scripture. There are 57 one another's in the New Testament. Love one another, encourage one another, greet one another, encourage one another. It's over and over and over again, the Scriptures say honor one another. That's how we relate to our fellow Christians. How about the third group? What's the third relationship? It's with God, and how do we relate to him? Fear. 
You may say, well, I'm not afraid of God. God loves me. Why would I be afraid of him? That word is, is phobia. We get the English word phobia from it. And what it literally means is to recognize authority, to reverence and awe. That's what it literally means. I am not afraid of God, but I'll tell you bluntly, I'm afraid not to do life his way because it don't work when you do. God's ways are the ways that last. And so how do we relate to God? We reverence him. We honor him. We recognize who he is. He is God and I am not. Something's happened. You've heard me say it if you've been around here very long. Something's happened in my lifetime where we've gone from a place where we reverenced God, we referenced the Bible. If I, as a pastor, said the Bible says, people went, oh, okay, well, I guess that's the truth, to a place where I can say, here's what the Bible says, and people will respond, well, thank you for telling me what you perceive the truth to be. Now I have to go and find my truth. I've gone from a place of acknowledging God and worshiping God and honoring God to a place of God's my buddy, he's my friend. And he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But at the end of the day, he's God and you're not. And so we do recognize his authority and reverence him in all. Here's the rub from some. How do you relate to government leaders? It says king here. We don't have any kings. He's talking about our civic leaders, government leaders. How do you, how do you relate to them? You honor them. There the Greek word is tumoho that means to value. It, it actually means to revere. Can I, can I just tell you that I cringe every time I hear a, a joke about our presidents? I mean, I, I, again, I'm going to show my age, but I remember when this started. I remember when uh, Bill Clinton became Bubba. And then, and then from there, it's just, you know, and, and no matter whether it's Republican or Democrat, whether it was Mr. Clinton or Mr. Bush, Mr. Obama, Mr. Trump, it's, just, it's got wussa and wussa, it seems. And I cringe every time I hear it. No, I don't agree with all of their positions. I didn't agree with all of the, the Republicans nor all the Democrats. I, you know, I don't agree with, with all of their positions. You can disagree agreeably. I can respectfully disagree on positions, and you should. Get informed in the issues and make sure that you're operating from a biblical base in the positions that you take. But still, we have to show appropriate respect for our leaders or who suffers? Everybody suffers, especially our children who are listening to us say those things. Because they transfer that disrespect, not just to the president with whom we agree or disagree, they transfer it to the cop on the street. They transfer it to the judge that they stand before. They transfer it to the teacher that's in the classroom. They transfer it to everybody in authority. They transfer it to the pastor who's trying to help them find Jesus or the Sunday school teacher that's saying, let me introduce you to the Jesus that I love. They transfer that disrespect to every leader in their lives, and it's on us. So please, I beg you, be careful. Remember. Now, please hear me, that's, that's not a partisan position. That's not a political position. It has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat. It's got nothing to do with right or left. It has to do with right or wrong. In fact, we as a church, people ask us from time to time, we as a church don't get involved in the political fray. We, we don't. We're not going to. We're trying to reach people that are far from God, and we frankly don't care whether they're on the right or the left of the aisle. We just want them to meet Jesus, and we want them to come to the Word of God. We want them to find life and freedom and, and, and all the things that are available to them. 
So yeah, come on. So we're not going to get into the political fray, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't. That doesn't mean that each of us as individual citizens shouldn't get informed of the issues and get engaged in the process. Just make sure that you respect, that you honor, that you love appropriately. This all has to do with Romans chapter 13. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by who? Like it or not, when you disrespect the leaders who are in place, you're disrespecting God himself. Who put them there? That says to me, we've got to stay aware. We've got to stay engaged in the process. We've got to honor those in authority. But at the end of the day, nations are temporary. God is eternal. He blesses nations who bless him and honors his word. So, yes, we will take stands on moral issues. Chips fall where they may. I learned not too long ago that... Uh, that a pastor in Canada, Nova Scotia, Canada, made a comment about a sin, and the result was that he was arrested for hate speech. Comment was made during a sermon. He arrested for hate speech. Stayed in jail until he paid a five thousand dollar fine. And I told that story in my previous church, and and I said, guys, I don't know what to tell you except that you know I'm gonna have to preach what the Word of God says, and and if it if it calls a sin out, it's just gonna have to call a sin out, and if they put me in jail, maybe you'll come visit me. I don't know what to tell you. That's just what's gonna happen. And a bail bondsman came to me after the service, visiting for the first time that day. He gave me his card and said, preacher, you let me know if they pick you up. I'll get you out. <laughs> we gotta stay engaged. We take stands on moral issues. As a church family, as an individual, you stay engaged in all of the issues that are going on as the day. God formed this nation and made it great. It will remain great as long as we remember blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I'm going to close. I love what David said. I love the way the message paraphrases what David said in Psalm 4610. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. I've got to close, but let's go back to my opening question. What, do you remember my opening question? Why has America been blessed for nearly 250 years? And the answer is blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Daniel Webster said, whatever makes men good Christians makes them good citizens. So you want to make this nation strong, live with integrity. Go to work on time and do an honest day's work. Be faithful to your spouse. Love and discipline your children. Live within your means. Pay your honest debts. Be kind to your neighbor. Give generously to those who are in need around you and put God first in every area of your life. The result will be that you will be blessed and our nation will be strong. I love what General Douglas MacArthur said probably 75 years ago. He said, no nation in history which lost its moral and cultural core was able to recover from the decline. Our founding fathers passed to us the spiritual torch of freedom. 
may we never let that light go out. That's the call. I love it. I agree with it. I fear it was prophetic. Oh, God. Restore the moral code that defines us as a nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the freedom that we're enjoying right now to even say these things. To say yay and amen, to nod our heads, to clap our hands, to disagree. That's amazing freedoms that we have. We thank you that that freedom comes ultimately from you. It comes on the backs of men and women who laid the foundation of the principles we've talked about and so many others, and many who have sacrificed, given their very lives for those principles and for this great nation. And so I pray on this 4th of July, on this day that we remember those sacrifices, as we remember those principles, that we'll make a fresh commitment to stay engaged, to, to find out what the issues are and engage in them, to bring our biblical understanding, our moral fiber into those conversations, to do so in a honoring, respectful, loving kind of way, but to do it. Let us never forget the end of the day. Nations are temporary. God is eternal. Keep your heads bowed for just a second. I wanna, I wanna make sure that on a day like this, whether you're in the room or you're online, that you've established that simple truth. Nations are temporary. God is eternal. That your relationship with him ultimately is far more eternally important than your relationship with whatever nation you live in. So if you haven't established that allegiance, before we even move on, could you, would you pray a prayer with me? Thank you, Lord, for establishing my life and giving me the privileges and blessings that I've enjoyed. I commit my life to you. Forgive me for the way I have taken them for granted, even squandered them, ignored you. Give me a fresh start today. Enjoy the freedoms that were, that were won on Calvary and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. And then for the rest of us, for all of us who are followers of Christ, would you join me in the two commitments that we've just made? Would you pray those commitments, not to me, but to him? Father, I commit to educate myself on the issues. I'll learn what's going on and I'll engage in a way that you've called me to engage in a loving, respectful, honoring, reverent of you kind of way. And then Lord, I will, I will honor my leaders even when it's hard but I will worship you. I will give you my highest allegiance for I am a citizen of heaven. 
in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being here. I, I thank you for every person that's listening, and I pray that today we'd make a fresh commitment to you first, to the nation of our heritage second. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said together,